Now let us read responsibly the litany of invitation and confession. The invitation of a faithful community bids us to give thanks. We are grateful for the gifts of faith and community given by God. The call to be a covenant people beckons us. We delight in God's invitation to relationship, and we pray for tenacity in our faithfulness. The season of Lent and the road to Easter invite us to follow Christ. We confess our fears when it comes to the cross. We confess that we are glad for Jesus to bear his cross. We do not want to bear our own. Sisters and brothers, God meets us where we are, in our reluctance and in our ambivalence. God has forgiven us. Let us lift our voices in gratitude to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. Uh, Today is a rather dreary and drizzly day. Following yesterday, that was a beautiful and bright day. But we are here on this day to worship God and to be God's people. Welcome. We have folk that visit with us from here and there, some from South Carolina, some from Missouri, and from other places around. So welcome to this place as a place of worship. There is on the edge of your order of service a response card, a welcome card. If you'll take a moment to fill that out, it'll help me connect name and face with you. Also, for any of you who would like to be prayed for or have a prayer request this week, place that on the on the request sheet as well. Drop it in the plate, and it'll be our honor as a staff and the deacons to pray for you by name and by need. Well, on this second Sunday in the season of Lent, and you'll remember that the Sundays are not counted in the 40 days, so we're in Lent, but we're not of Lent on Sundays. But on this day, we turn aside and hear three passages of Scripture. It'll be the gospel lesson that I'm primarily preaching from. It's that, that difficult text of the demands of discipleship. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. The second lesson and the first lesson will be about Abraham and how Abraham didn't please God by observing the law. There wasn't one. He pleased God by serving in faith, just as we do. So we open our hearts as well as our ears to hearing these words read. Welcome.
God makes a covenant with Abraham, a reading from the book of Genesis. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Here ends the first lesson. And now let's say our prayers. Holy God, we gather once again in the beauty of this sanctuary to worship you, just as we do each week here at Northside Drive. But, O oh God, we find ourselves surrounded by the season of Lent, and our worship feels a bit different. For the shadow of the cross looms large before us, and in its shadow we are reminded of our sin and brokenness. God, guide us through this season that we may not avoid the trouble, the struggle and hard work of Lent, but that we may open ourselves to your blessing through the cleansing depths of repentance. So God, let's get to work. We ask that in these days of Lent you create in each of us a clean heart. Wash it free of the rust and tarnish of self-interest, that we may be sensitive to those around us. Purge it of deceit and pretense, that all our dealings may be marked by dependability and honesty. Cleanse it that it may be free of old sin and a fitting place for good thoughts and ideas to be born. Renew a right spirit within us, O God. We are often haunted by our wants, unwilling to admit that more often than not, when we have what we want, we do not have what we need. We have trouble rejoicing in our blessings because we see others who are more blessed, and any setback to us is seen as a betrayal on your part. Renew a right spirit within us, O God, that peevishness and anger and bitterness may no longer hold prime seats in our lives. Cast us not away from your presence, O God, for we need you when life tumbles in, when health is something we used to have, when pain becomes more than something someone else endures. We need you when fear of tomorrow is more than something we read in the newspaper. And we need you when life gets mixed up and we can't make clean, clear decisions about what to do. God, restore us the joy of our salvation. Make us whole persons. Where there is illness, give hope and signs of improvement. Where there is loneliness, send the fullness of someone who cares. 
Where there is pain, send release. Where there is depression, send a new sense of self-worth and optimism. And where there is boredom, make us an offer to which we can't say no. Uphold us with your spirit, O God, and walk with us through this Lenten season. And no matter how dark the shadow of the cross may become, may we be reminded of your covenant with us. We are your people, and you will not forsake us. And may your call to discipleship beckon us to humbly seek clean hearts and renewed spirits. And now hear us as we all join our voices together to pray the prayer Christ taught his disciples long ago to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Abraham lived by faith in God, and God was faithful to Abraham. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, He believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, So numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. ever had to give something up or give it away? Any of you? Yeah? Well, when I was a little girl, I had lots and lots of stuffed animals. They were my favorite. I loved to play with them. I had teddy bears and puppy dogs and lots of other animals, and I would line them up and I would play school with them. I would teach them 
It was so much fun. I loved it. But then my mom told me that I needed to pick a few to give away. I had to give them up. It was really hard. Have you ever had to do that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. To give my baby toys away. Yeah. Well, I had to sell them to my cousins that are still a baby. Yeah, you gave them to someone else. Who could use them? That's right. Do you remember what we talked about last week, those of you who were here? We talked about Lent and how we are going through Lent on our way to Easter. And Lent is the time we, we, we journey through Lent, remembering the time that Jesus spent in the desert talking to God without food or water. Now, some people give something up for Lent. They give something up and they add something in. So like some people might give up chocolate or their favorite toy or their favorite TV show for Lent. And instead of playing with those things or watching TV, they'll spend that time refocusing on God. I still have some of my Halloween candy left. Oh, that's crazy. That's a lot of candy. But some people do these things so that they can refocus on God. They spend that time, instead of watching TV, talking to God and praying to God. So, this week, I am going to choose to watch an hour less of TV. And I'm going to spend that hour talking to God, refocusing my mind on my relationship with God. And I encourage all of you to do the same. Okay? Do you think we could all try to do that? Maybe spend 30 minutes less time watching TV? Yeah? All right. Let's do that together, okay? Let's pray. In your, Dear God, we thank you for Lent as a time to prepare for Easter. God, we thank you for your love. We love you. And we thank you for all that you have given us. In your name we pray. Amen. Come on up. There's something that makes today different. Hey, Levon. <laughs> We have a stray sheep on occasion. My biggest fan. <laughs> he still belongs. Um, there's something that makes this day different. Something that makes this day different than every other day. This was going to be the day that uh, we said goodbye to Louise Davis, February the 25th. And her death interrupted our goodbye. And my hunch is she's mad about that more than anybody else. Still, I went to see her the week before she died, and we were out there visiting the house talking about today, and I was going to interview her as part of the sermon today. And uh, we talked about what we might say and the questions there might be, and I said, and we're going to have some special music. Kurt Thomas is going to sing. And she said, oh, I love his family. And I said, well, that makes two of us, or three of us, or a hundred of us. We all do. And I said, he's going to be singing. 
What I have asked him to uh, consider singing is Be Thou My Vision. Because whatever else the charter members from 66 years ago were, they were visionaries. They saw to the edge of their map of what God might do in their lives and in this place. And so, in honor and in memory of the visionary, Louise Davis. Kurt, please. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save thou art. Thou my best thought by day, by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, thy Thou my wisdom, Thou my true word, I ever with Thee, and Thou with me, Lord, Thou my great Father, not Thy true Son, Thou in me dwelling, and I with Thee one. Riches I heed not, no man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. O King of glory, my treasure thou art. My victory won, rule and reign in me till thy will be done. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Still be my vision, O ruler. And now let us stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. Jesus invites his followers to take up the covenant of discipleship. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. The sermon title is a remnant, uh, a vestigial organ left over from a few weeks ago in planning when I was going to be interviewing Louise Davis. She and I were going to be sitting right there, two chairs, and between the two of us, we were going to have a sermon in dialogue. But as I said earlier, her death interrupted that. My hunch is she's still mad about that. And she died at 96 or 97 uh, years old. Uh, We enter a new time upon her death. We have never in our church's history been alive without at least one charter member. So we are now in uncharted territory. We were going to sit right there, she and I, and I wanted her to tell again the passion with which our church was birthed the divine demographics, the perfect recipe of the Holy Spirit. I wanted her to tell about the good times of the extraordinary times. Times had here, times had taking choirs to Europe, times taking mission trips to Honduras, and even that fateful journey to Canada that Kay Braswell has not forgotten. Neither did Fisher Albertson until the day he died. He loved to tell that uh, haunted story. I wanted her to say again that DNA that's in our earliest documents, even, even almost before, about the same time we got our Constitution in 52, that says those dreamers, those visionaries, were visioning a church that it was a place where neighbors could become good friends and worship God in their own neighborhood. We were going to talk about all of that good stuff. And then I was going to invite her to grieve with me that that wonderful world in which the church was birthed doesn't exist anymore. And that feels like loss. I mean, after all, we can do the same thing that those charters did. We can do it with the same desire and delight and the feisty spunk that they had, and it does not produce the same results as it did for them back in the day. And that's a grief that's important to grieve. We were going to talk about, well, what do we do now? And I had thought of a few options. Option number one, we can sell our souls to the devil. That's an idea. Whether you see the devil as an entity or as a metaphor, we can sell our souls to the devil. Devil, After all, you remember that story of Daniel Webb, the devil and Daniel Webster? 
we have more Daniel Webster's than just about anybody else in the congregation, you know. I mean, in the choir alone, we have, we have plenty. And it turned out okay in that story from long ago. The devil is a good illusionist. It's a neat trick to turn the tables and not even know they're upside down. That is one thing that the gospel text is about. When Peter used good, in, well-intentioned words for his friend Jesus, but it sounded like Satan to Jesus. It's a neat trick for the church to champion the existing culture or a nostalgic one. I mean, who can knock good numbers? But is that what the church is? A curator of culture, the past or the present? As Reinhold Niebuhr said it, and Clay Manley isn't here today, but he studied with Reinhold Niebuhr at Union Seminary in New York. Reinhold Niebuhr said that there arises a new peril of evil at each new level of good. You get that? There is a new peril of evil on each new level of good. Medically, right? Ethically, right? Morally, socially, socially? In all these different ways. So we have to be careful about the new levels of good that also bring with them levels of evil. Well, we could sell our soul to the devil, and uh, that would be plan A. But here's plan B, to do like Abraham and Sarah did, which is work hard and trust God. They tucked the promise of God under their arms and then walked into the, into the desert and the wilderness. Where are you going, Abraham? Well, I'm not real sure, he would say. How will you know when you get there? Well, I'm not real certain. All I know is that God has called us to go and we are on our way. They had to trust that God was going to be differently in their future than God had been in their past. It will look different. I figure our young families have to struggle with this kind of thing, to struggle with trust. What does it mean to trust God as we walk forward into the future? Uh, it's time for us boomers, as in us baby boomers, to confess during Lent to you that we have left you, younger generation, with a mess we have left you with an environmentally compromised world. We have left you with an, an, an excessively well-gunned nation. We have left you believing in the idolatry of security. We've done a number on you. I'm sorry. We need to do better. We need to pull for you if you're a young family. We need to help you be family Help us know how to do that. It takes a lot to trust God these days. Given the week that we've had, it takes a lot to be the body of Christ. It may even take more trust than the charters had in 1952. I was going to ask Louise to help me grieve the passing of what isn't anymore. And then I was going to ask her if she would be willing to sign a new charter. 
She was one of the first to sign that charter September of 1952. I was going to see if she would be the first to sign a new one, to pour her feisty spunk into a new covenant, as did Abraham and Sarah, though uncertain to what shape it would take. I needed her to help me do that. Jesus needed help, too. When he came on the scene, he called a few fishermen buddies and the other, a few other scalawags. They did the best they could, but he had to bring his word the best he could. Jesus found that the vitality of the Jewish faith seemed stuck and depleted, depleted of something essential to robust religion, and that is imagination, the first cousin of faith. They were under an occupying empire and army, and they were held hostage to the nostalgia of the past. They could not imagine a different future, and into that world Jesus walked. Maybe that's why Jesus was always going off to pray alone, which I talked about those scriptures on uh, Thursday night, those of you who were here for our Lenten service. He was always going off to pray alone, perhaps to detox from the stuckness of the social and spiritual world around him and to be reinvigorated by God's imagination. Succinctly put, his sermon was, the kingdom of God has come near. Near, close in, near. For some, that was great news. For some, that was terrible news. We'd rather the kingdom of God be something in the distant future. We'd rather the kingdom of God be something in the memorable past. But come near now, well, that changes things. Well, that was the message of Jesus. And when he preached it, who were the first to believe him? Was it the religious authorities? No. Was it the empire uh, occupiers? No. The people who were most apt to believe were those who were the most free, the most hungry, the most desperate to imagine God's new world kind of like Abraham did when he headed into the desert. Where are you going? We don't know, says Abraham. Even the, he- the text in the letter to the Hebrews says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. What's your strategic plan, Abraham? I don't know. What map are you using to this new place? I don't know. What organizational structure will you use? I don't know. I don't know where I'm going, he would say. I just know with whom I'm going. I'm going with my wife, whom I call Laughing Sarah, and I'm going with God, who's the joke teller. I mean, that's what the story is. God God brings this old couple, 99 and 100 years old, some big news. Sarah says, do I need to check with my gerontologist? God says, no, you're obstetrician. Oh, my. Oh, my. Imagine that. God's imagination was far more than they could have imagined. In this imaginative hope 
that Jesus was filled with, he preached, and he preached these upending parables that left them jaw-dropped. Right? That Jesus spoke, like on the Sermon of the Mount, and reinterpreted the chiseled-in-stone commandments, and they couldn't believe it. He healed people with unauthorized authority, And here'd be somebody sick their whole life. Jesus heals them, and they get well on the wrong day of the week. Imagine that. None of these outliers could support or celebrate that the kingdom had come near. But here's who could. The poor people, the marginalized, and those who had little to lose. Ah, that connects us with the text, doesn't it? Today's text, it says the freest to believe are those who can lose their lives for God's sake and by losing it, save their lives. We are as spooked by Jesus' words as was, by, as was Peter. Stephen Sheely wrote about this in his email today. Simon Peter's kind of like, uh, like me. I didn't sign on for the gospel of no pain, no gain. I'd rather a no-pain kind of gospel. Jesus says to them, Now, I'm going to undergo great suffering, be rejected by the faith rulers, and then be killed, and on the third day rise again. He says it three times in the next two chapters. Peter, a good friend, rebukes him, perhaps for good reason. But then Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter. Get behind me. Satan, ha-Satan, he says, because you are, you don't fit into the story with thinking like that, believing like that, acting like that. Jesus does a Daniel Webster on him, and he won't let Peter's well wishes deter him from the downward way. For to take the cross out of Mark's telling of the gospel, to remove it from the equation, is to miss the healing heart of God for all humanity. This is the preeminent image of how the kingdom of God has come near in of all things. It is in the cross. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. I used to know exactly what those words meant. Used to. When I was younger... Back in the day when I was a preacher boy in the South, some of you know of that term and of the phenomenon of youth revivals. Yes, no, kind of. Youth, youth revivals in the early 70s, 1970, 71, and such. And there were a bunch of us preacher boys who would all go out and preach these weekend youth revivals. We had four sermons. Uh, the prodigal son, the second coming of Jesus, uh, uh, born again. And also this one, the demands of discipleship. I was so clear about what it meant, so certain. But my confession now is, is that my certainty has been replaced by mystery. And the mystery is, is not dependent on my understanding of it, my ability to comprehend it, but rather it is dependent on God's inclusive grace that 
pulls me in whether I get it right theologically or not. I don't know what Louise would have said to that, but I would have loved to have asked her. I wanted to know. I was going to read her a letter. It's a letter written by a millennial. His name is Jonathan uh, Agner. Actually, I had gotten it from our uh, embedded organist, Jeff McConaughey, uh, sent to me. It's, uh, the title of the letter is, Dear Church, Stop Idolizing Millennials to Fix You. I can email it to any of you that want to hear it. I was going to read this letter, get her response. So today I'm going to close by reading the letter, and then I'll let Louise have the last word. She always did anyway. <laughs> Jonathan, this, this uh, Presbyterian pastor, a millennial young fellow, writes, uh, cautioning the church to not work out of desperation and neediness for millennials to attend. He named that all the marketing techniques that we use, like great coffee or Walmart churches, or middle-aged pastors in skinny jeans. I didn't know that was going to be that funny, but it, it, it is funny. And then he says, uh, and self-help speeches that masquerade as sermon series. He said, these don't work. Nothing is going to change the numbers, he warns. But here's the letter. Um, Dear church, stop idolizing millennials. Please keep being the church. What we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So church, do your thing. Live your mission. Live into the hope that Christ overthrows regimes and sets captives free. Remember who you are. Worship together as if your lives depended on it. That'd be a good topic for the Worship and Music Committee, wouldn't it? To make sure that we are given opportunity to worship like our lives depend upon it. And invite us to join you, not as honored guests and not as your coveted demographic but rather as your brothers and sisters. Let us feast on God's word and dine at Christ's table. Teach us the drama of your liturgical calendar and the discipline of your worship. Teach us the joy of your melodies. The people that sit by you can overhear that, right? The joy of your melodies. Many of us are trying to follow Jesus on our own, And it's just not working. That's it, he says. Following Jesus is a scary prospect, a costly endeavor, a daunting task. But that's where you come in. We need you, just like our parents did and like our own children and grandchildren will. We need a community of faith that reminds us who we are and whose story we live out. I can't promise the millennials will come flooding back through your rusty hinged doors, nor will they sink, sink into your creaky old pews. I don't have a silver bullet, 
But this is a start. Be uncool. Be your beautiful self. Be the church. I was going to ask Louise, what do you think about that? I think she would go for most of it. And I think she would reluctantly bless us to keep on becoming with a big sigh. But I think she would say, okay, as long as you do what we imagined 66 years ago, just be a place where neighbors can become good friends and worship God in our neighborhood. With God's help and Louise's blessing, we can do that. Amen? Amen. It is a tradition handed down to us by our charter members that when a word is offered, an invitation to dedication is given. It is one more opportunity for those in this place to overhear the joy of our melodies. As we, too, step to the plate and say, I, too, have decided to follow Jesus in this place and in this time. Let's stand together and sing. I have decided.
I'd like to call upon Dr. Melissa Bokhaus to come forward and speak to us. As you know, Dr. Bokhaus is chairing up our nominating committee this year, and she'll be speaking to us this morning about the upcoming season of nominations and as we as a congregation discern the spiritual gifts that we have, I ask that you listen to her word this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Daniel. So I wasn't really sure what I was going to talk about today, but I thought I'd just share a little bit about myself with you all. So I grew up in a small country church down in Macon, Georgia, and we were the kind of family that were at the church every time the doors were open. So... Our week would usually start on Sunday morning about 9.30, and that was at Sunday school. 11 o'clock, which is God's hour, as we all know, was when we would go to worship. And then after church, we'd go home, and Mom would have a pot roast that she put on from the crock pot. Or, my dad's favorite, we'd stop by the local Kroger, where they had a buffet restaurant. And you could load your plate up with as much mac and cheese, fried chicken, fried okra as you could, and then you'd weigh it at the end. And I love that as a kid to see how much is it going to weigh and how much will it be. I don't even know if they still have restaurants like that, but it was pretty cool. Um, that afternoon, we'd go home and rest a bit, and then we'd head back up for children's choir at 5 o'clock. 6 o'clock was evening worship service. Then we'd head to school on Monday. Wednesday, we'd head back up to the church usually for Wednesday night supper. The girls would then go to GAs, and the boys would go to RAs. And then my parents were in prayer meeting. I always wondered what prayer meeting was. I never got to go in. It was only for the adults, but who knows what was going on there. But we weren't allowed as the kids. I can also a lot of, recall a lot of days that we were just up at the church playing. One of our favorite things to do was a game where we'd go to the end of the sanctuary, and the floor was kind of sloped down so everyone got a good view of the pulpit. And we'd, we'd roll, and we'd see who could roll under the pews and get to the front the fastest. So, sounds kind of sacrilegious now that I think about it. But, um, we'd also love to go play up in the sound booth. My parents would get really mad at this. We liked messing with all the buttons, so we definitely got in trouble for that. We'd play in the baptistry. I can still remember that seafoam green of the tub and then seeing the preacher's waders and wondering, well, those are the funniest pants I've ever seen. Um, but we had a lot of unsupervised time in the church. I remember playing a lot of hide-and-seek in the Sunday school classrooms. It was great. A lot of tables and chairs we could hide in closets. Um, and I look back and I thought, you know, being a mom now, we're always, I guess we're in the age of helicopter parenting. We're always watching our kids, knowing where they are. And I look back and think, man, where were my parents? Why was I allowed to just roam the church all over? I mean, we spent a lot of time just playing in the church. Well... I suppose they were probably doing the work of the church. My mom was in the choir and on the worship committee. My dad was on the landscaping committee, and so he was oftentimes up at the church mowing the lawn, pulling weeds. My mom was there meeting and talking about what the next cantata was going to be like. Um, so they were doing the work of the church, and we were kind of entertaining ourselves, and we had a good time. Now that I'm an adult, you know, as a kid, you think all these things just happened, the Easter egg hunt. The beautiful decorations at Christmas time, the beautiful music. But it doesn't just happen. It's the people of the church who make it happen. And as an adult, I feel it's our time now to, that I can give back and help serve my church so that my kids have those good memories as well. So I call on each of you to see where God might be able to use your gifts and your talents to serve in the church. In your bulletin today, there's a 
a nomination form so you can nominate yourself or anyone you think might be good for any of these roles that we are in need of. There's also a list of committees, and I'll be outside after the service today in the Narthex where you can sign up for a committee. So I encourage you to think about your gifts and your talents and share them because we need you. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks for saying yes to being chair, and thank you for all the, the other people who have agreed to serve on the nominating committee this year. We appreciate your service. I'd like to bring a few concerns and uh, announcements to you this morning. Directly after the service, there will be a lunch for uh, the Bereans. Uh, pizza's been ordered, and I'm told by uh, Anna Kate that we have enough pizza for uh, all the children. So if you uh, would like to bring your children down, you're not in the Berean group, that's okay. Come down, uh, parents with their children, and eat the pizza after the service in the fellowship hall. On March 11th, uh, the Children's Ministry is sponsoring a talk, uh, Talking to Children About Tragedy. We'll have uh, Professor Alexander Vance here from Mercer University who will be uh, talking to us about how to speak to children about tragedy, and there will be a time for questions. Um, all are invited, uh, although this is directed uh, primarily to our parents with, uh, with children. Uh, you know that we have Thursday evening Lenten services that began last week. They're at 645 in the chapel, and the theme this week is prayer. The homily will be on prayer. Now we turn to our prayers. Our prayers continue to be with uh, the students at Parkland in Florida, those who are surviving the great tragedy that happened there, the families who are suffering. And then in our local congregation, uh, many families um, are having some serious health concerns. I bring you a few of those this morning. Uh, first, some good news that Aileen Cofield uh, was released and is back at Lindbrook today. Jerry Humphreys is in Piedmont, again, with pneumonia, but the word is that she's supposed to be released and go home tomorrow. Just in the last uh, two days, Gordon Davis fell and hit his head again and is in Kennestone Hospital. The good news is that Billy says that he is feeling better today, and they plan on monitoring Gordon for the next few days, so be praying for, for Billy and for Gordon. Be praying for John and Janet Bell. John is in St. Joseph's Hospital with pneumonia and some possible heart complications. He'll be monitored for some time there as well. Our prayers are with these families as they are with all of you who have your own concerns uh, that we lift up to God this morning. We continue our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings with uh, the offertory hymn, Into the Woods My Master Went. And every week during staff meeting, I'm the new guy who says, what does this mean? And I pointed to a word and I said, what does this word mean? You'll see it in the lyrics here, forspent. And we found out that it means exhausted. Into the woods, my master went clean, exhausted. And, and some of us may be exhausted during the season of Lent, so we pray for renewal as we continue our worship.
all-loving God, into this holy space, we bring our fatigue, our faith, and our futures, knowing that all are embraced in your arms of grace. And for this we are grateful. For this we bring tithes and offerings as symbols of our gratitude. So bless us this week. Help us, hold us, heal us, and abide with us. In Christ's name, amen.
And as you ponder this day, what gift God has given you to invest in our fellowship. Remember what Louise Davis would do, what the charter members would do. They would say, I'm all in. Sign me up. And so as you go, remember, may the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage as we go in peace. Amen. Well, you know, I didn't make a mistake, and the, music, and the music didn't fall off. That's